Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Aid, and with me here today are Rach and Christian. Rach, how are you? Hi. Uh, lovely to be here with you both. Um, it's been a bit of a, surprise, surprise, uh, a bit of a hectic couple of weeks. Um, now there's, uh, you know, a sentence I never say. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it has, it's been um, a bit hectic, but it has been lovely as well. Um, been busy with workshops, I've been delivering some CPD work with some uh, schools, um, CPD as in continued professional development, so working with um, school staff um, uh, in order to teach them how to um, teach their students uh, in the dark room, um, showing them how to create contact sheets and then prints. So that's been loads of fun uh, and I've also been doing uh, busy making up more cyanotype kits, sorting out workbook situation, doing markets, um, all kinds of all kinds of things. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's been fun and I'm sorry I haven't been here um, for a couple of weeks, but it's lovely to be back with you today. Well, it's lovely to have you back. And Christian, how are you? Um, improving, <laughs> as as uh, some uh, I, uh, there is a saying, God can take excrement and make fertilizer out of it, and that's basically the situation right now. No, I'm 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 fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm getting there. So no, it's okay. Christian, have you um, uh, mentioned to our listeners what's happened? Uh, I don't think so. So uh, first of all, I uh, uh, caught. Uh, stomach flu, which uh, is not a good thing, and uh, then uh, I was involved in a car crash um, on Saturday. So uh, yeah, still um, recovering from that a little bit. It wasn't my my fault, which is good, but it's still a stressful thing, I think. And uh, I'm glad that uh, I was protected, and um, yeah, I'm uh, improving. Good. A little bit shaken up still, but uh, happy mm. to record with you guys. Well, we're glad you made it to the show safely today. Um, careful, <laughs> careful on the stairs on the way back down. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here, Christian. Obviously, we're missing our, our co-host, Claire, today. Yes, she's off doing the thing that we talk about. So, yeah, <laughs> more power to her elbow, as they say. Um, she, she's doing the research that we should have done. <laughs> well uh, yeah absolutely she lived in the dream isn't she so yes yeah. uh so claire won't be with us this week uh won't be with yes won't be with us this week because she's off doing a, pro- a big project lots of shooting in the evening she has to do at the moment uh but uh she will be coming to talk to us uh in this lighting mini series uh about or how all that's going and how she's approached the lighting aspects of it so that is something to look uh, forward to uh it's going to be amazing i'm absolutely yeah. sure it, it is indeed <laughs> We saw, um, sorry, sorry, Aid, go on. I was going to say, just which prompts the introduction, really, of the show, that this is the second show uh, in the lighting mini-series. So, yeah, hope you all enjoy it. Um, We're going to talk about today uh, lots of things to do with lighting, uh, including stuff on shaping lighting, including exposure exposure including some uh, some stuff on flash photography perhaps if we get that far into it uh and probably well i uh, starting off um uh with christian who has been doing some real proper research for us and has got some 
like pro tips to start us off with. No pressure, Aid. No pressure. That's all right. <laughs> Just pick up that book you've been sharing. Yeah, no, good. that's that. That's a good starting point. I think um, I, I'm I'm probably as rubbish uh, or maybe not as rubbish anymore because I read a, a book uh, with lighting because um, uh, I think at the beginning I I approached that the lighting and the exposure thing like everybody else I just used to meet her and thought yeah oh this is not uh you know this is underexposed this is overexposed and then at some point I realized oh I need to actually find out how to properly do this because otherwise <laughs> uh, I won't be able to produce um uh, results that, that are reliable and um I found a book that I would like to share with our listeners which is an amazing book about um, exposure it's called it's aptly called understanding exposure and it's written by brian peterson and um, what i love about this book is completely agnostic to you know what sort of camera you use it can be digital cool. it can be film it's it's uh, doesn't matter at all and um what i like about this book is it basically starts from 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 the absolute beginning because i mean what is exposure? Everybody has probably heard about the exposure triangle, um, which is basically consists of the three components of exposures. That is the ISO of the film. That's the 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 uh, sen sensitivity of the film or the sensitivity of the digital sensor. That's the aperture, and that's um, the exposure, the, the the time that you let the light expose on the medium. And um, what I like is that um, Brian Peterson explains this very um, vividly how to work those components and how to deal with it. And uh, that le basically leads you to understanding how to properly meter because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what a meter does. Uh, and uh, well, I'm because... not sure I understand what a meter does. <laughs> Maybe that's something that we should discuss uh, first. What do you think? Yeah, if you if you, if you're confident, you can you you can tell me the answer because I'm only going to get it wrong. So 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 um, we'll approach it like this. I tell you what stupid Christian thought and what he learned. It actually did. Uh, so so um, before I you know uh, looked at, exp uh, at at metering properly, I I I, I had no idea how it actually metered i was like maybe took an average or something and uh, until i understood that a meter will actually um uh, if you point it to some some light there are two basically two ways of metering there is uh, direct metering where you basically have a, um maybe you've seen that the, the little half um, white half dome that you have over the meter and it will basically um you, you hold the meter into the light where your subject is and it will meter off that white cone that you have on the meter. And the other way of metering is you use a spot meter and it's, it, it meters incidental light. So you basically point it at the subject that you want to meter. And, and the most important thing that I needed to understand was that the meter will always, uh, when you point it at, let's say, a reflective surface, it will always... Um, tell you what exposure and what aperture to use to get that um, surface that you, me uh, that you measured from 
um, to be the equivalent of a, a neutral gray area. So basically, if you have black and white film and you expose um, meter a certain uh, surface and then expose to that meter value, uh, the, that surface will show up as neutral gray. And uh, that is something that I never understood properly. And that's one of the reasons why, for example, if you shoot in snow, you will never be uh, able to expose properly if you if you meter off so snow and then just use the values you see, because you will always, ha always have an underexposed image. Because snow is not neutral gray, it is naturally white. So you Absolutely. have to do something to achieve that effect. And same goes for um, evening or night shots. If you meter off surface that is in, uh, in, 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 in like a blue hour situation, you will always get some overexposed image if you don't take care. So yeah, I think one of the things about lighting and exposure is you really need to understand what, you, what, what metering does. So I find that very important and yeah. Mm, I, what I, are your I, thoughts? I, uh, the snow one got me for a long time. Uh, yes, uh, until I learned how to expose for snow. I tend to just shoot about two stops overexposed. Yeah, yeah. so just stick it on plus two uh, for snow, and 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 roughly speaking, that'll come out about right. Um, I don't know if that's technically the right thing to do, but or whether it's just how the cameras I use that that tends to be the thing that works. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd, I I certainly wouldn't know wouldn't know all the tricks uh, to do, to do with exposure and and for light. Um, the blue hour one is interesting. I have had cameras in the past where if you put them on an automatic exposure, um, they they try and make that look like daylight. Just like why yeah, did you, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, that's a very typical thing, I, I guess. And uh, especially in, in the blue hour, you can I mean that is one of the situations I think that. Maybe modern smartphones deal better with it, but if you use like um, uh, little uh, pocketable uh, film cameras or older digital cameras, uh, that is one of the situations where you immediately see in the images, in the resulting images, if someone knows how to expose for the blue hour or not. So that is a very important thing. And so is understanding uh, what latitude a scene or um, has in terms of exposure, because if you look at a scene, you will always have some sort of darker areas and lighter areas. And one of the most important questions is how much of a difference is between the dark areas and the light areas? Because if the if the the dark areas are not, not much darker than the light areas, there is uh, films with um, very little latitude will work properly, but as soon as you, uh, as this uh, difference grows bigger, and it grows bigger than the latitude that your film has, you will need to make a decision what to expose for. Yeah, because you end up with the situation where, when you're lighting something, if there's kind of like two to three stops between your highlights and your, you know, and your low lights, if you like, um, that that will give you kind of like a nice range, quite soft and subtle. But if you're going, if you're finding that there's a bigger range than two to three stops between those highlights and your shadows, then you, you're going to end up with something a lot more contrasty. And like you say, Christian, you're then going to have to decide which side you're going for in order to create that exposure. 
Um, so that is also useful for finding out metering and measuring for like what, where your highlights are and metering and measuring for where your your shadows are so that you can make that distinction whether you need to change how much light there is coming in or whether you need to change some setting on the camera to compensate for the scene mm. if that makes sense yeah, yeah makes sense yeah how, how how do you go uh rachel um when you 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 do a lot of um natural light portraits yes. and stuff for work and um How do you, I was always wondering when I saw your portraits, how you deal with, I mean, natural light can, especially on weddings, you don't mm -hmm. have any control over weather because, I mean, it's a wedding day and hopefully the weather will be fine. But then again, as a photographer, fine mm -hmm. weather is something completely different from what the bride and groom thing yeah. what fine weather is. So, yeah. uh, I mean, if you have bright sunlight, that is something that I... I assume must be a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. You are correct, <laughs> Christian. Yeah, because yeah, bright, you know, direct, direct sun gives you. Well, this sort of like takes into what we we're talking about before of the quality of light um, and how important that is, and also refers back to our um, our mini series on style as well. Uh, now I'm saying direct harsh sun harsh sunlight is a nightmare because it's a nightmare for me given my particular approach and my particular style um because i much prefer the um softer more subtle um more gentle and perhaps diffused light um as you might say in terms of quality um and i feel like that suits my style much better in terms of creating portraits and things you walk outside on a cloudy day not we're not talking like really black deep clouds you know it's about to thunderstorm um but if it's a bit of a cloudy day you've basically got a huge diffuser over the sun you oh. know and it's the most soft and beautiful um and flattering light for for most people basically so in terms of shooting using natural light and the weather um that's ideally what you're after so you're not looking for a bright sunny day on your wedding day you're looking for something actually that's slightly overcast you know a little bit yeah. cloudy and that will give you gorgeous portraits um outside basically um it will make it much softer and in terms of um, if you've got a uh, a very bright sunny day, your quality of your light is going to be much harder. Okay, so you're going to have much more contrast. Um, your shadows are going to be darker, um, and there will be more contrast between the shadow and the highlight within the scene. Mm. Sometimes that can be done for for really spectacular effect, and that's not to say I don't love that because I'm a big fan of you know a silhouette or you know something that's got a real kind of like the contrast the high contrast as well um but I don't like that kind of across faces I think is yeah. it like somebody with a within a scene that's backlit or has a rim light or has um some kind of like dramatic um quality to the light I think looks brilliant but um there is a balance to be had between um, there being a uh, a really interesting dynamic scene um, and basically hard, harder, co more contrasty light um, not being very flattering on, you know, skin textures and things like that. So when you're looking at things like portraits, especially for something like a wedding day, um, you're just kind of 
for me, it's all about trying to give the best version of the person. It's not about faking who they are. It's not about everybody being perfect and completely the opposite of that. It's all about the imperfections, hence why I use analog photography. Um, but it's about you still want it to be something that people love looking at, you know, and know that it's real and know that it's genuine and authentic. But, you know, you're not highlighting every single pore or, you know, texture of your skin and that kind of thing. So right. there's a there's a difference uh, about that and a balance to it, I think. Um, so the other thing to think about with quality of light is the distance from the subject to the light as well. So if you've got a, like I say, if you're outside on a um, on a sort of slightly cloudy day, you've got this beautiful big diffuser over the sun um, because obviously the sun is quite far away from us. Uh, so it's really, really far away and nice and soft and subtle. If you've got a, um, you can use things like modifiers, people call, you know, something called modifiers, which you can put onto a light. Uh, if you're using artificial light, obviously flash or strobe or something like that in the studio, um, which you might have seen, which are kind of like an umbrella or um, sometimes a, a soft box where you've kind of got like a, a slightly translucent white uh, part of it as well. And depending on how close um, to your subject you put that, that will also make it more intense and harder, more contrasty light, the closer it is to the subject and vice versa, the further away that is from the subject or the larger that space of your modifier or your diffuser is, that will be softer. Well, I was yeah. wondering, what's your reference for or your reference point when metering? Do you uh, go from experience? Because I mean, obviously, it very much depends on the film stock that you use mm -hmm. and so on. Do you usually meter, um, you know, with a neutral target like a gray card or something, or how do you go about that? Or do you just use the skin? Because I I, uh, I imagine if you have different skin types, uh, like very light skin or beautiful dark skin, so it will be very different. I, yeah. I have a friend um, from Cameroon, uh, mm -hmm. and he's uh, he's he has a very uh, very dark uh, skin, and his wife has a very light complexion, and she it's so difficult to uh, do couple shoots with um, those two guys because it's always difficult to um, dial in the exposure sh so that you see the details in both faces. And yeah. so, so how do you go about that when metering? Again, with that, you're looking at as close as you can to get them between your two two to three stops, you know, between those I... highlights and the shadows because those are still going to be you will still get highlights and you will still get the shadows no matter what skin tone you have the other thing is i predominantly shoot black and white um and you mentioned film stock i usually use um something like ilford hp5 um, which has um a fantastic range in terms of being able to um being able to cover both of these i'm not Uh, a specialist in color shooting um and i know that that is a very different skill and it, it's a different obviously very different emotions that you're working with there um but with black and white i've always found that you're still able to if you're if you meet it for your highlights and for your shadows and still look for that three stops sort of max between the two you will still be able to get um uh, an exposure that should um capture both both people or both you know kind of like ranges um accurately yeah mm. is um, it do, do, if and now uh, let's say you you have um because 
you, you can't control the weather, obviously. Mm. Um, I've once seen a, a documentary. I can't remember who the uh, photographer was uh, who was interviewed, uh, but he said that he never poses people in, in direct sunlight if there is harsh light and he was shooting in, in Africa and in the, like in the equatorial areas. And he said, mm -hmm. it's always good to get them into the shadows and, and, and get them next to buildings, for example, that reflect the, uh, the harsh light and make it like, like act like a natural soft box or like yeah. a diffuser. How I do mean, you know about that? Yeah. It's it, well, it, I wouldn't say you shoot them in the shadows necessarily, unless it's a very specific stylistic. Yeah, thing I think the equatorial shadow is not what we would consider yeah. shadow. It's still very light. Yeah. You're kind of going for more like mid shade, really. Right, um, yeah. If you go for sort of like mid shade, that will usually give you that nice diffused light if it's a very bright day. Um, things to watch out for because obviously you know it's not something that we ha we suffer with the whole year round in in Britain, um, but we we do now have very bright and very hot summers and things and um if you're bringing uh people into into the shade it's also making sure like where where are these like spaces with shade under tree branches and things like that then you can end up with these shadows all across their faces you know you can end up with weird shapes and things that then your camera starts to try if you're if you're metering you know through the lens kind of thing uh, with an inbuilt meter or something like that, then it can start to um, get confused about which area you're trying to pick. So those kinds of things, because you're if you're panicking, like trying to get this shot quickly, uh, sometimes you can miss those details. And then mm -hmm. at the end, you go, oh, no, it's totally focused, you know, on on this weird shadow that was coming off this tree branch or something. Mm. Um other things to think about, as you mentioned, are, you know, you mentioned snow before, but um, if you've got people near like a lake or like water or something oh, yeah. like that, obviously that can be a huge reflector because you don't necessarily need, um, you don't necessarily need lots of kit, you know, and I know from, from the previous um, episode, you were saying like, you, you've got at least eight lights and you, you're just thinking, I just need 16 more, you know, like whack them all on there together. But actually I, I'm kind of like from the, other school of thought which is like minimal <laughs> um <laughs> basically because i'm mostly shooting on my own or perhaps i'll have a second shooter but i'm i'm not able to carry a load of kit around it just doesn't work for me i find it gets in the way of me shooting i'd much rather be more agile and quicker um rather than doing lots of setups i suppose and again that comes back to like i say our previous conversation about style and approach yeah. and things um, but yeah, sorry, Christian. Go on. Yeah, I am um, a tool that really opened up the world of exposure and lighting to me was a spot meter, actually. Okay. Um, because I feel like unless you have experimented with spot meter, um, you always. Well, I think it's more guesswork because if you use a spot meter. And 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 maybe uh, use either a digital camera or a, 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 an analog camera. There are a lot of film cameras that have uh, spot meters built in, and there are very sophisticated uh, cameras like the, for example, the Canon T90. For example, you could use a spot meter and um, uh, take measurements of multiple different um, areas of the image mm -hmm. that you want to take, and it would basically average 
the yeah. uh, meterings that you took and that are very good tools and uh, i have a very nice gossen uh, spot meter which can actually meter ranges so what you do is you basically point the spot meter to the darkest uh, area of your image and uh, then pan to the lightest area and it will actually show you the range of latitude mm -hmm. that you have and, um, is that it is... a digital camera no it's a, a light meter by gossen oh i see sorry it's um, on your light meter it will show a, you that it's range. a i think it's a digi six i have to look it up or we'll um Okay. If anyone wants to know, just <laughs> to drop me a message. I think it's a digit digi six. So it's a quite an, an old light meter. It can also do incidental and and direct light meterings, and it has this um, spot meter um, uh, attachment. Mm -hmm. And using a spot meter really helps you understand exposure a lot, or the, the lighting a lot, because um, I think it takes a while to get used to what surfaces especially if you have uh like cityscapes uh the tarmac the 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 concrete um you you need to get a feeling of um what how much light does it actually re reflect how much light does mm -hmm. your skin reflect um i used to uh, know um a cameraman who did uh who um, worked for Arte and so on and he suggested to use the inside of your hand the palm of your hand um, to, you know, try to assess lighting when you shoot stuff. And he said, if you do that a lot of times and use it as a reference, you will develop a feeling for the exposure that you need to use. Because I think, yeah, I think that's a really useful uh, tip. Christian, because the other thing is, you know, depending obviously on what you're shooting, you know, you don't always have the time to to stop and and perfectly meter everything or perfectly mm. spot meter the, the whole scene. You know, you asked me before about trying to shoot that at like a wedding and things, you know, I've got no control over the light and people who are doing street photography, it's obviously a very similar kind of thing. You've, you've got to just get the shot or miss it, basically. And... Uh, and I think that reference point was this. Uh, sorry, this is somebody not in the book that you were talking no, about. No, no, not in the book. Yes, yes, but I think that's a really useful reference um, point because your hand usually is something you have with you most of the time. <laughs> yes. Um, so it means you can you can check, you know, in whatever mm. light you're in. You know, if you just naturally curious i think i'm the sort of person who will generally sort of like say, oh yeah look at the light i'm not oh. and you know other people just think i've lost my mind if i'm if i'm doing that <laughs> but it, it's it's not something i'm consciously thinking of but i think it's going in you know um i am thinking of it um and i think a lot of the time it's about you see if if you've got a scene in front of you and you kind of go, oh, that's the shot I'm after. You do a quick meter reading of like the scene and then trust to kind of like the film stock um, and knowing knowing the camera that you're using, knowing the kit that you're using and kind of going, right, if that's my kind of average, I can push it a little bit this way and a little bit that way. And oh. when I develop it, I know that I'm going to get somewhere in the middle so that that will be you know, a, a good exposure. And in that situation, I find having an older analog camera is actually uh, something that forces you to work differently because mm. it's very tempting to just use the automatic exposure of your camera mm. when in fact it's much better to you know um, if you're outside and you know there are not many clouds and uh, or it's just a, a like a 
an overcast day with a pretty constant cloud cover, then if you properly meter the scene that you're in once, you just you know manually set the aperture and the exposure, and you're done. You mm. don't need to meter every you know every time. And and you, I feel like you develop a feeling when the person shifts a position, and you see oh there is a little bit more shadow on the face right now. Uh, you, you just you know you just uh, expose a little bit longer or open the aperture a little bit and i think that is something that i like about film because it's a little bit more forgiving uh for example a foma pan for example if you use that it doesn't care if you overexpose one or two stops or yeah. underexpose and and that is something that i appreciate a lot um and it helps in to gain confidence in situations like that. But I still think using a spot meter is really interesting. And uh, in that, um, that being said, I think if you use a digital camera with spot metering, just to experiment with what exposure do I get if I meter off this surface and this surface, it helps you to uh, gain confidence when using like expensive film stock. And I would highly recommend trying spot metering. Absolutely. um, uh, I'm I'm really fortunate actually in that um, uh, somebody gave me an OM4, which is is a spot meter, obviously, um, in it. And to um, to my shame, I have not had the opportunity to use it nearly as much as I would have liked to. Um, So uh, that's definitely something I need to get back out of uh, you know back out in the into into the world and and you know shoot more with i think it's because um i i rely on um i love my om1 i love it because it's so it's so basic you know in in so many ways in that it's it's just fully manual you know you've got your iso you've got your aperture and you've got your shutter speed and you have to set them all yourself, right? And your ISO is already taken care of because you've chucked a film in. So you've only got two things to actually think about. And this is a huge part of why I love analog and film photography because that's two things. It's not like a million menus that tell you, you know, goodness knows what. I have no clue what any of these things do. And I will like hold my hands up and say, even something like a Canon A1 or whatever, which is aperture exposure auto oh god what is it auto exposure or something yeah. honestly it blows my mind i'm like oh, i can't deal with that i just need something manual <laughs> something where i can set everything so i'm in control of everything maybe this is actually saying quite a lot about who i am isn't it that could be your business card i don't do automatic <laughs> stuff i do it properly I, I mean i have i'm i'm always a huge advocate for saying to somebody you know point and shoot whack it on auto just go out and shoot with it you know because i want people to actually enjoy that experience rather than worrying about you know or i haven't got that right you know or the exposure or they're coming out with a blank roll at the end of it that's no fun for anybody you know no. i'd much rather somebody put just puts it on auto and goes and shoots and and you work through it as you go um but for me i love i love being able to go i know exactly where i am it makes me feel a lot more confident with what I'm doing if I know that's my shutter speed, that's my aperture. And because I'm doing it for a reason to give a particular stylistic choice, you know, I want a really shallow depth of field or I want to capture something moving very fast or, you know, there's reasons for that. I don't want the camera taking over and doing something that I'm then going, 
I don't know what you've done. <laughs> and, I mean, it's a, it can be a, like a, a stylistic choice to just use a full auto camera, which is mm. perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, one thing, um, uh, listening to the first episode of the lighting series w was that um, you, um, in, the, in the short amount of time that you had in the episode, you only scratched the surface of uh, landscape photography. And I think um, sometimes if you need to uh, learn about lighting and exposure and metering it can be useful to do that in a landscape because it will not move away that quickly <laughs> so, so uh what i uh what well the sky is changing can be the, changing quite fast the sky can be changing but yeah. you you can you know yeah. you can choose the battles that you want to fight yeah. and if it's uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that uh, i find very nice is if, if there is if it's not such an ideal uh day in terms of uh you know a photographer doesn't want blue skies and bright sun if that's the case if it's a blue sky and bright sun i love to go into the forest because uh there you will have very harsh sunbeams you will have deep shadows uh you can have um, um you know leaves that diffuse the light and uh what i love to do and that you know that experience is very valuable uh, i used uh, average metering and also spot metering to for example just meet if there is a sunbeam just meter in where it where it hits the the, the forest floor and try to see what happens when you do that because that will give you and, and then you you meter next to the spot in the, in the shadow and see what what happens then and I think that is a very valuable, a valuable uh, experience. And one of the things that I love about the Understanding Exposure book that I mentioned uh, in the beginning is that it gives you um, a lot of useful tips how to get a reference point for metering. Because as I said before, a meter will always give you the exposure and the um, aperture um, depending on the ISO that you dialed in before, for um, getting the, the surface or the, 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 the surface that you meter to get that neutral gray if it were black and white. And, and uh, funny enough, um, if you have a bright blue sky and, uh, uh, and you meter 90 degrees uh, away from the sun, that will give you a perfect exposure for a landscape scene actually. And, yeah, I can highly recommend looking at the book because it gives you all sorts of uh, tips on how to meter foliage and so on, and uh, also I how to meter in the blue blue hour. I love those kinds of things. Like, it's they're so like fundamental in terms of like the it's the how the physics of light works, isn't it? It's like the sunny sixteen rule, <laughs> you know, that we're named after. Like, isn't that fascinating? That triangle that. The minute you move one of these things, if you move the other two, then you can, yeah. no matter what, you always keep your, you know, your exposure value, basically your EV, if you like, number. So on some cameras, I don't know if listeners, you know, some some will probably know a lot about this, um, but there's also something called your um, EV number, which yeah. the idea is that it means once you know what that is, you can transfer that across you know across anything basically and i just think that kind of thing is so fascinating how it's all interconnected to be able to create this perfect exposure if you like and the funny thing is uh only in really modern digital cameras they brought back uh stuff like for example i have a tlr that i love that's mm -hmm. a lipka orlop 
And you basically dial in uh, the shutter speed and also the aperture on the main uh, uh, lens. And uh, as soon as you turn the um, the uh, the ring that adjusts the, sh uh, the shutter speed, you will automatically turn the aperture mm -hmm. as well. So basically, if you if you uh, expose longer, it will close the aperture mm -hmm. so that you will still have the same uh, exposure. And uh, only uh, when you have like full auto mode and some digital cameras, you can use like a thumb dial mm -hmm. to basically change aperture and um, uh, exposure simultaneously. And I find it so funny that you have these really old cameras that just yeah. did it and it needed like half a century to get that in digital cameras as well. <laughs> it, it took me ages to figure out how to uncouple it because they're basically <laughs> coupled together, aren't they, right? So on yeah. my on my roller cord, um, oh, yeah. that's mm. the same situation, yeah, with my TLR and um, and on my Hasselblad on my 500. Um, and they, yeah, they're basically coupled together and it took me flipping ages to figure out how to uncouple it. <laughs> so that I could I could you know alter it as I wanted to to be back in control like I mentioned before um but yeah honestly it took forever um I'm very glad I did eventually figure it out I think I googled it or something because to my shame I was like I can't I can't do this and I didn't want to break it you know and I was like mm. um but yeah absolutely there's there's these kind of like um idiot proof you might want to say like, ways to be like it's in this and then if you turn this everything else goes with it so that's great because it does help. It just means that you've got like something you know is like your base starting point to get something. So yeah, they're they're really helpful. <laughs> and especially in the situation where things are changing quite quickly, if you've got it set ready, then all you've got to do is change that and it does it does it for you, right? It's got you've got the rest of it sort of coupled together. So you don't need to worry. Yeah. I think uh, I think that um when we talk about lighting one thing that I uh, wanted to mention is that um, using um, um, neutral density filters and graduated neutral density filters is also something that is very, um, very valuable, um, a very, very valuable tool to look into because especially in landscape, you, you, you mentioned it earlier, if you have very high contrast, um, very light um, areas and very dark areas it sometimes sometimes makes sense to basically artificially change the lighting by using um, like neutral density filters so neutral density filter is basically a filter that will reduce the brightness uh, a certain amount of stops without changing the color so you can uh, uh, so it's um you can use that, for example, to dial down the bright sky and um, that you want to f uh, take a photo of together with the um, together with the foreground. And I think that's something that uh, is worth mentioning as well. Um, mm. Also, if you uh, want shutter speed that is much longer than you could use uh, because it's it's too bright. That is something that is useful as well to um, reduce the amount of light that hits the lens. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's the thing. You know, whenever you're putting something between the lens and the scene, you know that's going to have 
some kind of impact isn't it on what you're on what you're actually doing so um making sure that you're metering taking that into consideration if you've got a filter on or if there's something else happening um between your camera and the scene itself um then you know that's definitely something you don't want to uh, to forget you know in the heat of the moment of like getting getting the shots either that or if you have forgotten it then you can always look at pushing or pulling your film afterwards you know and just make a note of it um at the end um i before we um move on to aid because he's been surprisingly quiet um so we i mean basically he's not been able to get in a a word in edgeways with christian and myself i'm sorry we had we had thought about employing our we'll put our hand up um situation and i think he's just been on either been on mute or he's just uh sitting there listening to us <laughs> in a daydream um Go on, Ed. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. You just seem to be having so much fun, right? And you, having a laugh. So, <laughs> so, which is great. And 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 you, there, there. I, I suspect there's a little bit of me that was like, "Yeah, this is a nice, relaxing podcast I'm listening to." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, hang on. I should be in it, shouldn't I? So, uh, you should. The, the segue would have been rage. We we've been talking about natural light a long time. Looking at the smithereens zine, we have an expert on. Oh, you have a natural light book, right? So this was going to be my segue, actually. And I was like, I'm just going to check Aid is still with us because he looked like he might have dozed off there. So um, my segue was going to be, obviously, we've been talking about um, using natural light and the quality of light and all these sorts of things. Now, this book I love and is one that, again, to my shame, have not had enough time to properly use or look at. Um, But it's written by a past guest of the show, uh, Sandra Cohen, who is a fabulous, absolutely fantastic um, um, portrait photographer um, in uh, in Seattle and I had Sandra as um, my mentor for a while during lockdown actually um, absolutely wonderful wonderful person and incredibly talented photographer and she talks about crafting the natural light look so she is a studio photographer she um, works only with artificial light um, with strobe and flash in the studio but it's about the natural light look and it's how you can use single light and modifier so like i was saying about for me it's all about using minimal equipment if i'm going to be doing that kind of thing one light and that kind of thing um to create a myriad of different looks you know something very very moody something dark and um all the way through to very light and bright and airy um but still using a single light so um i would highly recommend her book as well which is Crafting the Natural Light Look by Sandra Cohen. So we'll put that both those links in, Christian, um, with your exposure book. And Aid, I hope you've brought your own book, but I thought that would lead us in nicely to talking about flash and strobes and how you would use light in those situations too. Well, um, I haven't brought a book, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah. You're going to write one. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. I don't want to write a book. I don't want to write a book. I don't know enough to write a book. But um, you can use chat GPT to get a start. Yeah, yeah. Somebody uh, yeah, somebody can get an AI to write a book and slap my name on it. It'd be fine. I'll be a millionaire by Christmas. Um, the, uh, yeah, so, okay. So loads of stuff there. I mean, I, I guess if I had to sort of, you know, segue somehow into talking about uh yeah, un- unnatural light um i would say that perhaps there's two two main themes in there one is the shaping of it and the usage of it and the creative use of it 
and the other is the technical stuff that you guys have been talking about about how to get the correct exposure um and i think um the when you're you when you bring lights and you said this as much yourself right when you bring lights to uh, a particular photo uh, it does give you the opportunity to add lots of things to it. Um, but with that opportunity comes a whole bunch of risk and complexity. So in some ways, shooting with natural light is a lot easier um, uh, unless you really are totally in control, you know, and it's perhaps in a studio or you know that you've got enough light that you can just blitz out the ambient light of wherever you are and, and shape it the way you want to. But the other, the other thing that is on the technical side is that exposure is actually quite a lot easier with flash because there's no such thing as an exposure triangle. There's just two things to worry about. So do we want to do this as a pop quiz, right? Which two things do you need to worry about? Oh, Christian's put his hand up. Okay, Christian, which two things out of the, uh, out of the exposure triangle are still relevant in flash photography? So, so I think because the length of the flash is the only thing that matters how long light goes to the medium. I would guess that the aperture is the only thing that will regulate the amount of light and the ISO is probably the only thing that matters because it will tell you how uh, the medium will receive the light and how much light it needs to have an exposure. So my guess would be ISO and aperture. You are, of course, as you well know, absolutely right. Um, ah, so, glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just go through the the, the mechanics of that because it is about mechanics, right? So normally we would have, you know, the ISO or the, the sensitivity uh, of your film. Uh, you would have the aperture, which you know, which being a hole uh, that changes size, uh, controls how much light does or doesn't get in uh, to the camera. And then you have the shutter speed, which is how long is the hole open for? Now, you said it yourself, Christian, actually, with a flash photography, the duration of a flash is much quicker than your average shutter speed. And so it doesn't really matter how long your shutter is open for, because actually it's the duration of the flash that is about how long the camera is accepting light rather than the time that the shutter is open for. So that's why you can shoot and get the same exposure uh, at a 60th of a second as at a 250th of a second. You know, or if you've got slightly older cameras, a 30th of a second up to 125th or something like that. You can be you can be multiple stops different in your shutter speed and still get exactly the same exposure if your source of light is a flash. Now, there are some uh, challenges. So many people have heard of a flash sync speed, which is uh, a shutter speed. That is the the limit of how fast your shutter can be before your flash doesn't work anymore. And if anybody's tried to actually uh, consider how that or, or experiment with that uh, and how it works, um, it's um, it's uh, it's because there are two curtains in your average shutter. We'll come to uh, we'll come to leaf shutters in in a bit. But in most shutters, there will be uh, two curtains, a front curtain and a back curtain, or a first curtain and a second curtain. One of them opens the shutter, the other one closes it. Um, and depending on how um, depending on how fast that shutter is, 
the of course your, your whole film plane uh, is not exposed all at once it's exposed you know, if your shutter speed is fast uh, then the two curtains are very close together and actually what happens is a slit uh, tra you know, a slit of a shutter travels across your film yeah which which so rolling shutter uh kids is not only a problem with digital cameras you no, can have it... rolling shutter with analog cameras as well you can indeed you can indeed um although uh slightly harder to make happen <laughs> than it is yeah, with some digital true. cameras <laughs> um but it, it, what what you can end up with it, funny enough is if your if your rear curtain is following your front curtain too quickly then you'll end up with only part of your film being exposed to the flash and the other part being significantly darker <laughs> Um, so, so there is a reason why there is a maximum shutter speed that that actually, um, yeah, that you can shoot flash with because uh, it just doesn't expose the whole film if you don't if you go too fast. Um, uh, and of course, if you have it on bold mode and leave it open for an hour, even in a fairly dark space, you'd end up overexposing just on the ambient exposure rather than the flash exposure. So there are limits. But there, um, looking at your zine at at uh, Smithereens, um, a lot of times when you use flash you have a really, really dark um, scene where I feel like the flash is probably the only light source. But you also have, I think, occasions where um, uh, the background is, is bright enough so that the flash basically only you know, highlights the, 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 close, um, the close persons or the close uh, the subject. objects, subject, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I, 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 I have, uh, started with flashlight, uh, with flash photography and I really like, um, I really loved how, um, you could use, you know, exposure, still use exposure to get the ambient light to, uh, do something to the scene that you're, um, you're shooting. And, um, that is, I find it very difficult to get a grasp on how to properly light something using a flash and the ambient light. Uh, what's your feeling about that? Do you prefer shooting like very dark stuff and just use the flash and uh, uh, that gives you more control or how <laughs> well, do you that's go? an aesthetic choice, isn't it? It's a creative choice at the end of the day. Um, but there is, um, if you'd like a, uh, a tip or a rule of thumb for, for shooting with both flash and ambient if you want to use a flash to pop your subject out of the ambient a little bit uh, a simple trick is to set your camera's exposure for a stop to two stops below ambient so if you can measure the exposure for a scene and then take two stops off that so it would be two stops underexposed but then use the flash to to correctly expose the subject then what you'll have the you'll have the, uh, the then the flash will pop your subject away from the oh, background right. oh. so that um for example is how you get a, a white backdrop to to look gray or a gray black drop to look dark uh, yeah um it, when when you are when you're shooting in a, in a studio mode is you expose your subject correctly and expose the part yeah the the rest of the the image to be you know a couple of stops under um, mm. And as long as you haven't got light spilling into that background, then um, yeah, yeah, that, then that's actually quite an effective way. And and yeah, that that's you know that is there. There are ways of working these things out, um, but they involve maths, um, and it's not easy maths either. Um, so 
you know, one of the things not for this that time of night anyway. It's not easy matter any time of night. So <laughs> so so the, the the way to think about it is light falls off very quickly. So if you have an ex so um the the technical term of it for it is called the inverse square law. And that's the maths that's where the maths kicks in. But one way to think about it is if you want to have your subject well lit and your background you know, darker, um, then move your subject towards the light so that the relative distance between your subject and the light and the background and the light is big so that your subject is much closer to the light and your background is proportionally much further away. Let's say two, three times as far away. Uh, if you can make the background double the distance. So let's say you've got a, a light and then you've got a meter away, you've got your person. Let's go with a portrait shot right here. Let's say it's a headshot. OK, so you want a nice, nicely lit headshot. And um, let's say your your light uh, source is a meter away from your subject. And then the background is a further meter away from the light, so a meter behind the subject. What you've got there is you've doubled the distance. And as you double the distance, the light will be four times um, less bright. So actually, if you double the distance, your background will be two stops less than uh, the subject is being exposed. But of course, if you can move that just a smidge, if you can move it your subject so that your subject is only, let's say, 60 or 70 centimeters from the light, which means there's 130, 140. Yeah, there's twi twice as much distance further back. You're going to lose, you know, four stops of light as you go back that way so you know you can just by moving your subject you know, even just a small amount and correcting the exposure for that you can really um, manage the relative brightness of your background um, it can and, also help with the um, uh, shadow as well of course so if you if the, the further away you move your subject from the background the uh, easier it's going to be to minimize there being any kind of shadow if you're using direct flash you know on somebody you'll everybody will have seen it you know very 90s kind of like because it was right on on top of the camera in your face in the nightclub everybody was like oh like this you know um it's not very flattering in that sense but um then you've got your sh huge shadow cast um on the wall behind you so those are other things also to to consider with distance between subject and background and subject and light uh there's that as well yeah absolutely um so uh and and you know typical i say not particularly typical because there's so many choices that you can make but there are a couple of a couple of ways or, or or approaches you can take first of all is to be is to control where your light falls so if you you know to move that if you can move that light around to yeah, an angle um, and then you uh, do what they call flagging it, uh, which is a technical term for blocking it from going in certain directions, often with like a, a black piece of card or board or something like that. So you can say, OK, well, I, I'm going to have my light facing my subject, but I, on the side of the light that is closest to the background, I'm going to put a big black flag so the light can't get there. Um, then that will mean that you do, your light doesn't mistakenly or accidentally fall on the background and light it up. So that's that's one way of doing it. Um, and then uh, an, another way of doing it is uh, simply you can 
um, it's not just faggy. There are all sorts of modifiers. This is where the world of modifiers come in. Sorry, I, I get again yeah. jumping down a rabbit hole with great glee at this point, because yeah, you, as in the same way as you can never have too many lights, you can never have too many modifiers either, because every <laughs> then, then the, the world is is your oyster. So you can you um, if you put a thing called a grid on front of a light, that will then make the beam of light that much narrower. So a flag will stop a, a wide beam from going in certain places. You can make the beam itself narrow, for which you can use a grid or you can use a snoot or you can use barn doors or something, anything like that. All these sorts of things can be used to stop the light spreading where you don't want it to go. So so that's uh, yeah, that's um, a very, uh, very fun rabbit hole to jump down, but possibly possibly a whole podcast in its own right, to be honest. But we'll see where, they, we'll see where we get to on that. <laughs> um, uh, then, uh, oh, uh, sorry. I was going to yeah, say, then, of course, at the uh, at the absolute other side of this, um, you've got how do you get your white backdrop to actually look white? <laughs> and that is a trick in and of itself as well. Um, uh, and broadly speaking, what you want to do in the same way is if you wanted to go darker, you, you pitch it two stops darker. Um, and if you want it to look white, you need your background to be brighter than your subject, usually about two stops again. So for this one, you need a bit of separation, physical separation between your background and your subject, because if you blast the hell out of your background to make it go to full white, um, a lot of that light is going to bounce back and is going to look like a glow around your subject or, you know, or, or interfere at the very least with the way that you're lighting the subject. So the best way to do that is to have your subject as, as far away as you practically can from the background. Um, you know, things that come into play there are how big is the space you're shooting in. The other thing is how wide is your lens? So if you have a background, you know, you could have a nice long distance uh, of your your subject from your background. And so you could you could fiercely, fearlessly blast that background into pure white. But if because you're too far away and you've got too wide angle lens, it doesn't fill the whole of your frame. <laughs> then you're going to get all the edges around it so it often um, if you really want to do that another a technique to, to help with the separation is also to take a longer lens to shoot with because a longer lens of course will have a narrower field of view and that will mean you're better able to keep your background uh, as the whole of the rest of the frame and worst case scenario of course you can always handle it all in post these days in this digital wonderland we live in but if you've got a fully analog workflow that's really hard to do because you'll have to be you, you have to be dodging everything um and and that's hard so yeah um if you can get it right um by lighting uh, that's great um but if you can't uh, but you might need a lens choice in there to get the the, the composition correct and, and things like that so lots of things to think about and play with Thanks, Aid. That's awesome. I really appreciate the uh, yeah answering the question, which is really cool. Um, I just dropped a little message into the chat to say, also say the names of the modifiers are hilarious. <laughs> um, oh, you've got uh, your grid and your barn door and your snoot. I was like, what on earth is a snoot? I'd never ever heard of a snoot. Go on, oh, Aid. I haven't got one to hand, otherwise I'd hold it up what to the it? camera. A, a snoot. A snoot is a it is like a long nose for your light. Um, so it's like right. a, it's a cone where the fat mm -hmm. end of the cone is the it, you, you attach to the light and it tapers away so that actually the light only comes out of quite a small hole sometimes only you know three inches across so quite um, intense then yes an intense it, spot basically it, like. it would be very much yes shaped like that uh that would give a shape like that um 
Uh, if you want to think about what barn doors do, think about mm-hmm. um, a film noir kind of shot where you know they're only the eyes of the only the eyes of the femme fatale are lit up, and she's got shadow everywhere else, and there's a thin slit of light that can mm-hmm. be achieved with barn doors, yeah. which are literally just doors that close over the light and and can shape the the light that comes out between them. I think the 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 sorry the whole uh, flash thing is very interesting. I've seen recently seen shots where. Um, they use such, such powerful flash, flashes, flashes that um, they shot people in broad daylight, and the broad daylight was actually one or one and a half stops less bright than the flash that hit the subject. So they could basically make people pop out in an image, even though they were in broad daylight. So there is that is uh, tricky to do. Um, yeah. because you do need a lot of light to outgun the sun. Yes, exactly. And that that's something that I find fascinating, that it, that's even possible. Because the way that we control a bright sunshine is often by having a shutter speed, like that's a two thousandth of a second. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is only, it is hard to find enough light that you can light something you know at a two thousandth of a second you know uh, and yeah um with so uh without opening up your lens and of mm. course if you open up your lens more light gets in <laughs> so yeah. so it it is it is really tricky to do um you can uh in part do it um help that with a filters uh, yeah. a, i can say absolutely uh, yeah. a, a neutral density filter um which would take two three four five 10 stops 10 is probably too many um, uh, off um, off your exposure so so what you would do at that point again it's same same discipline same approach you need to you need to meter for your ambient exposure and create an ambient exposure that works so let's say if 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 a f8 it was a 2000th then actually you know um, you're never going to get enough light to light it at f8 you need an, a, an open aperture let's say just a, a three stops would be 2.8 wouldn't it i think um uh yeah three stops. <laughs> yeah no three stops from f8 is 2.8 i think okay that's uh, correct it'll, it'll do for this time it'll do for no, this that's time correct um then uh you say okay well if but if i open up to 2.8 um i can't use my flash so because the shutter speed would be too low. so what you can do is you can control you can put a three stop nd filter on there and set a flat and set a shutter speed and an aperture that meet that gets you the ambient exposure that you want and because your aperture is still quite wide open you can use the flash to uh to to to, to gather more light now it's not as straightforward as that uh, unfortunately because of course you know the, the net nd filter you know um does stop the light getting in but there are you know the, it, it does help a bit um but yes you do need to um some pretty bright lights and you would want to have your subject quite close to those lights as well because as i said you know light falls off very quickly so having a really bright light, you know, 10 meters away from your subject isn't going to help at all. Um, it, but if it's right up close, that, that you, you can do something with that. So sometimes wow. it's, it's sometimes you have to play with it to, to figure out what actually works and what doesn't. I feel amazing. bamboozled by that. That's amazing. Thank you so much for the explanation, Aid, because I'm, I, yeah. Uh, I, I was like, t- let's go back to the barn doors because in my former life as a video uh, production in video production, uh, that that all made sense because you'd have your your redheads or your blondes, and you'd have your barn doors on them to direct the light wherever you want it to be. And obviously, you know, all of your students wanted to shoot a film noir, so there would be a lot of uh, of the barn doors with 
just the slit of Lots the light. Lots of letterboxing alike. Yeah, 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 a lot of letterboxing, absolutely. And then um, thinking about, um, you know, using gels on the lights and things rather than, you know, coloured filters on the camera, um, actually putting physical gel um, on mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. as in, sorry, they're called gels, but they're basically like a, a very thin acetate kind of thing, but with a, a particular colour. Um, because, of course, the other thing we haven't talked about is light is the colour. Uh, temperature of course yeah. as well uh, no, that's which, a good point we should talk about that at some changes. point yeah mm. um because that's also to do with the quality of light depending on how hard or how soft it is how intense it is the co- the actual color temperature of um the final image can be different um and depending on what kind of uh lights you're using whether that be flash or uh natural light um you have a different temperature of course as well uh, a different kelvin so maybe there's a show on kelvin uh, <laughs> or something yeah and 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 why the hell he did it all the wrong way around to make it counterintuitive for everybody so why does something with a hotter temperature have a cooler color it's always frustrated <laughs> me it always makes it very uh, it's a, if, if newton hadn't invented gravity it would be better <laughs> invented it well <laughs> Well, there's there's a whole story around Lord Kelvin, um, uh, yes, and his and his color temperatures. Um, so uh, yes, we can definitely talk definitely talk about those yeah. at, at some and, point. And also, um, uh, artificial light in cities would be very interesting. Of course, there are a lot of cliche um, uh, portraits where people are uh, put next to neon lights, but I still find them quite interesting, mm-hmm. even though they are cliche. I like them. I have to admit, and and there are very good urban photographers that use artificial neon lights and and whatnot to uh, give a scene this this almost cyberpunkish sort of feel. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, the the rabbit hole is deep and yeah, and of course in studio, of course you know that's something yeah. that you can you know um, do as well obviously so uh, yeah there's so much that you can explore with that and I guess at, at the end of the day as photographers you know without light there would be no photograph right <laughs> you know so whatever light you're using um it's uh it's creating that scene for you in whatever way you know that yeah. is and um whether you're the the person the person actually in control of the light and changing the light or moving your subjects in relation to that or whether it's just a scene that is lit that you're then coming to capture light plays such a huge part in all of it doesn't it yeah painting with light yes yes as i say um thank you so much for for our uh, um our instructions aid on the flash <laughs> it's and, only and scratching the surface i'm afraid but um, absolutely the, for um, me we... what i would say there's a huge huge amount of fun to be had so i would say that don't don't anybody be put off by it um uh because you know for every for every technical bit of maths the, there's a rule of thumb that's been worked out over decades by incredibly clever photographers who who are, who are way better at, uh, and way more practiced at this stuff than, than i am um, so yeah, there's definitely ways to do this without having to worry about maths and physics, and 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 what it is the photons are actually doing when you're not looking at them. <laughs> there's, there's an awful lot you can do. Uh, you know, just going back to the for me, like trying to keep things simple with with anything like this. Um, there's also an awful awful lot you can do with a simple 
piece of white paper <laughs> a reflector you know a mirror even if you if you're stuck and you've got no reflector you've got you know if you've got a mirror on the wall or something use that to bounce light around to try things um that can be quite a mirror can be quite harsh obviously with a reflector you're looking at more of a, a diffused white light usually but sometimes you'll find a reflector that's white on one side and maybe that sort of silvery side on the other um that can be when you're looking at that if you're if you're playing around with bouncing some light onto that and then onto your subject conversely if you think about you know snooker or pool or something like that in terms of the angles um then that's the sort of light on the silvery side that might be as if you were near water, that kind of thing. Gives you that kind of almost special effects kind of look. Um, but yeah, a, a simple diffuser or a white wall or something like that where you bounce the light off the wall onto the subject itself will automatically then diffuse it rather than shine the light straight from the uh, from the light onto the subject so if you're ever finding that it's a bit too harsh doing that you could always bounce it around yeah, absolutely there, there are loads of there nice. are loads of really good things that you can do yeah. so so shooting through yeah. stuff right so yeah. i mean you can buy a white umbrella to shoot through for very very uh, affordably but if you don't happen to have one of those you could you can shoot through net curtains if you have mm -hmm. net curtains you can use a sheet if it's thin enough yeah. you know or all sorts of things you can do. or as you say bounce bounce off a, a neutrally colored wall um so yeah if you bounce off a red wall your light the light that comes back is going to be red right so it will absolutely <laughs> it will reflect that light back onto the skin tone as yeah. well which can be done for creative effects but obviously it's something to Absolutely. watch out for of course oh, string is another good one as well so, so with, for exposure string is a good one so mm. if you um if you are you know don't have a a meter to hand or, or just want things to be easier and, and have a, a higher um a higher hit rate immediately um yeah attach a piece of string of a known length to your light um, and if you know what the exposure is at the end of that string then you know you know you know what exposure you need to uh to set you know to, to light your subject so this huh. is a good one for things like um uh if you've got to do many portraits where you've got people shuffling in so let's say it's school portraits or wedding portraits where people are going to come in have their shot taken and away you go um if you know what the yeah if you know that at you know two meters your exposure is x then attach a piece of string that's two meters long to your light um, and then you'll always know whether your people are in the right place or not. Wow. I love that. I'm definitely attaching a piece of string, uh, maybe I, a I, ribbon even, to my, to my camera bag, and I'll be taking it out with me. I, I, ne I never thought I'd say it, but I'm, I feel the urge to try flash photography now. Do you, I was just wondering if somebody used, you know, like um, uh, a shutter release cable, and it was like, no, it's got to be two meters long, because... <laughs> Then at least <laughs> I think you'll probably my... get into a little bit of trouble because then to release yeah. the shutter you'd have to be in the picture. Yeah. Well that's <laughs> what I was thinking. I'm looking for it for a, you know, or I'll get I'll get the uh, you know, bride or groom to hold it. There we go. Done. Yes, it, it would work. That. It would work for it would definitely work for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's good for, yeah, I have read about, I've never done this myself because I don't do this sort of photography, but I've read about people who do those kind of stage photographs, like like let's say it's you know, a school shoot where the kids are going in and out and in and out and in and out. Um, you can have a three-point light set up and each of the lights has the right length of string on it to, to get the balance of, of 
lighting power versus you know distance and, and relative exposure across you know the kid's face or whatever um, uh, and you can set it up in seconds because you know exactly where everything needs to go because your, your strings all meet in the middle right yeah ah, <laughs> like a weird spider's web i love it well because yeah. the three point lighting um setup is is kind of like for um photographers who've maybe not come across that before from our listeners um it's quite a sort of like a standard set to as a starting point isn't it you know you've got like one light setup but a a three-point light and you've got a key light um which is your kind of usually your main like your brightest light and usually your highest light and then the fill light which will fill in the shadows from the other side Uh, and then your third light usually is for uh, lighting the backdrop you know or providing separation separation. yeah for separation Separation drop and the um and the subjects so that's what your sort of like three point lighting means basically those are your three your three lights really so, what they do. Absolutely. So in the seventies and eighties separation was achieved largely by a hair light. So so you'd have a a, a, a a light that was behind and above the subject or out of shot uh, that would light their hair with a nice little glow and and that would provide some separation. If you are a, a an athlete Often you get two really harsh lights coming in from the side to give you really strong cheekbones and an aggressive look. Yeah, anybody that's seen an Adidas or Nike advert in the last fifteen years will recognise that look. Um, uh, and then, uh, as you say, Rach, you can also um, light the background, so you can put a a, a shape of light in the background that provides mm-hmm. some silhouette, uh, some separation. So you could light the background, which yeah, let's say there's a sort of slightly circular shape of light on the background, and then that gives a little bit of pop to the subject uh, separation so yeah all sorts of things you can do uh, to, to try and create some separation with the use of light christian wow. it, it sounded like you were going to about no. to say something no no i'm i'm <laughs> i'm uh trying to take all this in and digest it it's very interesting i really i i really need to whip out my flash and yeah, I mean this this, this part of the conversation is very much, uh, unlike the earlier stuff, which is more artistic. This part of the conversation is very much about tips and tricks at the at the, the technical end or the crafting end, rather than the creative and artistic end of this. But but as yeah. with all, as with all tools, if you can be confident in how the tool works, you can apply it much more. And easily. and I think it's good to talk about technical stuff because um, otherwise, especially with flash photography, if you don't. App- do it properly you would be disappointed and i think that's sad because it can be a very good tool to do stuff and like you know using a, a, a spot meter for uh stuff and using gray cards i think uh if you if you want to do art with a certain tool you need to understand the tool there's no way around it this is very true mostly it's just some time to practice isn't it that's that's usually our biggest uh, stumbling block definitely for me is my st- biggest stumbling block getting so that you coming. have the best opportunities rach because you have a subject who can't say no because she's too young oh really so, you think that my 20 month old can't say no so i learned a lot of this stuff by trial and error where my kids were a similar age to how Constance is now and, okay. and a bit older yeah also okay. sort of three years old four years old there's the age where they still got up very early in the morning and oh, as I've said yeah. before I saw many times on the podcast I used to leave all my lighting set up in their bedrooms 
And when they woke me up in the morning really early, or at least when it was my turn, um, I, I would sort of crawl out, crawl out of bed, you know, uh, and grab a camera <laughs> and crawl up the stairs uh, to, to the where the kids were sleeping uh, and just lie around on the floor chatting with them and taking the occasional photo. And because all the lights were up there already, all I had to do was <laughs> stick a trigger on the camera and I was away. So That's so sweet. So, so I sweet. have a lot of yeah. lovely photographs that were yeah. just from play, right? From all of us playing and me playing at photography at the same time. So it's it's a um uh, it let, let's let's say it's 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 not a um an exploitation of the child let's say it's um it's it's a happy it's a happy time when everybody can get what they want out of the relationship <laughs> oh, and it's my my daughter still loves to pose for for pictures cool she's she's that sort of person she enjoys it I'm not recognizing my household within either of these scenarios currently shall we say um because mine does not stay still at all long enough and um yeah definitely says no definitely so, yeah uh, so the yeah. staying still thing, the not staying still thing can be solved by buying more lights but, but, <laughs> but isn't it good that you're raising a daughter who knows what she wants absolutely you know so, that is, um, uh, if that's very... any consolation then I, I absolutely um, take that as a as a positive that she yes. um, is uh, strong willed and knows her own mind, and I think that that is a very good place to be. Good, good for her, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I tell um, you what, also a good place to be. A good place to be is uh, wrapping up the end of the podcast because we're on quite a long time uh, this week, which is cool. Um, yeah, uh, we need it. We need to make Graham proud. Uh, no, 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 no. no I, I don't have that in with me in me this evening. I, I can't do a two and a half hour show. I'm sorry. No worries, that's okay. I, I think this seems like a good, a good finishing point. Yes, okay, Actually, it is. But it's also a good, a good opportunity for me to apologise to Graham, um, who who messaged me after last week's show and said, "Oi, why did you blame all the emailing things on me?" Um, uh, so I have apologised, listeners, to Graham and said, I'm sorry, it's one of those things that I was unprepared uh, in front of the mic and just it all slipped out. But rest assured, um, uh, Graham is not the fault of, uh, not all the fault of why the emails sometimes get a long time well, to get read on this thing. <laughs> and we now have as a team, so apologies, Graham, uh, an unqualified apology. That didn't sound at first like an unqualified apology, but it is an unqualified apology, Graham. Um, uh, I am very sorry, my good friend. Um, and I am pleased to announce that we have a solution because we now have access to the email account. <laughs> well, what, well, one of us does. Yay. Well, so saying um, in that case, what's the email and how, <laughs> where should people write to? Uh, well, you can write to sunny16podcast at gmail.com or... Uh, where uh, you can work, uh, come and talk to us on our Discord because I have a couple of shout outs before we close. I'd just like to say uh, a shout out to Jonathan and to Sam's Photo Life, um, who have already, following last week's assignment challenge, uh, posted pictures in our Discord with intentional use of light. So thank you both and, for kicking and we us will, off. We will not tell you what you can see there, you have to go there yourself and see it. Yeah, links in the show notes, of course. Uh, yeah, so amazing stuff. Come, we have the best community, haven't we? We do. Yeah. So come and join us in the Discord and uh, and uh, share with us your intentional light photos. Uh, and uh, as we said last week, uh, John, Michael, and I, uh, it doesn't have to be you know, lots of fancy studio flashes or anything like that. It's just just show us the use of light intentionally. Uh, uh, 
And we we do have to say that we still uh, have the apple, the chair, and the head thing still... that we need to do. And there's no way around it because if the community does such good such a good job doing it, we have to. Well, we'll come back to that then. Yes, good point. Rach. Hey, um, just before we go, I was going to say, um, you're absolutely right, Christian. This is something that I I need to I need to shoot my apple chair and hat, of course, to uh, to live up to expectations. If our community is doing it, then we absolutely need to do this too. Um, I just thought um, a last little thing that I, sh I probably should have mentioned before, and hopefully I will get a chance to mention again, um, is that my studio, my natural light studio. Funnily enough, obviously we're talking about flashing things, but also natural light today, um, and my dark room are now. Um, open at Hamilton Square uh, so um, they are open obviously for um, workshops and experiences as um, I've always delivered but also for people to hire so if you would love to use this beautiful um, space I have um, at Hamilton Square then that is also an option so um, you can get in touch with me on via my website um, littlevintagephotography.co.uk forward slash contact uh, send me um, an inquiry and I can get back to you about that um, it's an absolutely gorgeous space it's the original um, bank manager's office on the first floor has three beautiful floor to ceiling windows in um, uh, in this space it's about five meters by about four meters so um, yeah it's uh, just beautifully perfect for anything like portraits that kind of thing and there's also a pop-up dark room within the space so you can shoot and process and check it immediately which is always a nice thing to do so uh yeah let me know if that's of interest to any photographers sounds awesome rach thanks can't wait for you guys to come and see it yeah Yay. august and <laughs> august absolutely christian's going to be coming to to the uk and uh yeah it's going to be part of our fantastic trip round, isn't it christian You're to come yes and see indeed Okay, cool. All right. Well, there we go. Thank you for listening to us, everybody. Uh, we have been the Sunny 16 podcast. Um, I am not going to speculate as to what our show will actually be about next week, because every day, every time I do that at the moment, I always end up being wrong. Um, we have um, a lot of creative fluidity in the Sunny 16 team at the moment. And, uh, uh, and so I'm not going to speculate too hard on what happens next week. But there will be a show next week and it will be a continuation of our lighting mini series. And that's as much as I'm prepared to put my money on. <laughs> that seems sensible to me. Some discussion of lights. <laughs> Some, something like that, yeah. So on that note, thank you once again, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.